Welcome to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Just ahead on today's show, the YMCA of the Capital Area in Baton Rouge plans to build 100 apartments in mid-city Baton Rouge, an effort to address the region's workforce housing shortage. And we'll go to Lafayette, where the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra is putting on a Valentine's Day concert featuring the saxophone and the tango. We'll have a conversation with the maestro and the featured guest artist in next week's concert there. But first, to New Orleans. Law enforcement officers from outside of the New Orleans area will be headed to the Crescent City to help with policing and security during Mardi Gras. And the New Orleans Police Department has expressed confidence that any of these outside agencies will have to abide by the city's rules and long-running consent decree. Here to tell us more about the consent decree and how the NOPD plans to oversee outside agencies, uh, we have Rich Webster, who reported on this for the New Orleans newsroom. Verite, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about the consent degree, first of all? What exactly does it say? Well, so the consent degree was adopted about 10 years ago after the Department of Justice conducted an extensive investigation of the New Orleans Police Department. And consent decrees are basically blueprints of reforms that are enforced by the courts, and they can address anything from how police conduct traffic stops and vehicle pursuits to the use of tasers, firearms, and body cameras. And New Orleans, according to your reporting, does have a history of bringing in outside law enforcement agencies to to supplement the NOPD, to let them operate under their own rules. Uh, what are the risks when that happens? Um, why is it important that everyone operates under the same rules and, and regulations? So, I mean, obviously, policing Mardi Gras in New Orleans in general is a lot different than, say, patrolling small rural areas in northern Louisiana. You want to make sure that there are clear and strict guidelines that these outside agencies abide by. And one important thing to note is that the agreements the city is um, signing with these outside agencies clears them of all liability unless they're, you know, they use excessive forces, negligent or intentional. So, you know, in the past, in 2014, after a mass shooting on Bourbon Street, the city brought in the Louisiana State Police to enhance the NOPD's patrols. And again, the agreement between the city and the state police did not require them to follow the guidelines of the consent decree. And, you know, that led to significant problems. In 2017, state troopers engaged in this long high-speed chase that started over a suspected stolen license plate. And it ended in sort of this terrible crash that left three people dead, including a two-year-old. And witnesses said the state police were driving at excessive speeds and basically endangering everyone. And, you know, under the consent decree, if they were required to follow it, they would not have been allowed to engage in such a vehicle pursuit. You know, the consent decree requires that pursuits, they can only engage in like these high speed pursuits if there's a crime of violence or if the escape of the suspect would endanger the community. And then there was real quickly, there was another incident involving a hospitality worker who was suspected by state police of drug possession. He was trying to get away on his bicycle and they used their tasers to knock him off his bike. He got severely injured. And again, under the consent decree, this would not be allowed. Uh, You could only use tasers on someone fleeing if they committed a serious offense and represent an, quote, imminent and physical threat to others. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the officers need to be compensated and equipped. What are the expenses here and how much does it cost? So basically, the entire cost of this whole endeavor is going to be around a million dollars. The maximum of about 950000 is going to go towards the hiring 
of about 100 to 150 deputies and they'll work 10 hours on the nine parading days. You know, they'll be paid about $50 per hour with that rate increasing to about $75 on Mardi Gras day per hour. You know, they'll also get a per diem of $64. Uh, the city will provide lodging for deputies who travel more than 35 miles away. And you know, one good thing about this is that this agreement requires the city to provide at least $50,000 to get body cameras for these deputies um, and pay for the recording, uploading, storage of all that video captured during Mardi Gras. Hmm. How have the, the city council, Mayor Cantrell, and NOPD chief Michelle Woodfork uh, responded to this? Have they expressed confidence in the consent decree? They have. You know, I mean, from Cantrell, who, for, you know, the mayor in the initial preference press conference expressed all the confidence in the world. She said that, yes, these outside agencies will be supervised by the NOPD. They will have to follow you know, their orders, their rules. Same with uh, Chief Woodfork. And then I spoke with the deputy consent decree monitor, uh, David Douglas, and he again said that he is going to be involved in making sure that these outside agencies are briefed on guidelines, and then the monitors themselves will be along the parade routes to ensure that they are following, you know, what the NOPD advises them to do. All right, we've been speaking with Richard Webster, reporter for Verite. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. The YMCA of the Capital Area last month announced plans to replace its aging facility in mid-city Baton Rouge and replace it, in part, with apartments, an effort to help address housing in the region. To tell us about those plans, we have Christian Engel, CEO of YMCA of the Capital Region. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. So raising the old YMCA building apartments. Tell me what you're building. Tell me a little bit more about this project. Yeah. So, you know, the building itself is about 60 years old. So it was kind of time to try to get something new in place. And uh, so we were trying to strategize opportunities that we may have to put a new YMCA in, but also address a need in Baton Rouge. And, uh, you know, people think apartments and they think the Y and they don't necessarily connect the two. And I always laugh because I think if the village people saw in one of the lyrics, it's always fun to stay at the YMCA. Uh, in the 40s and 50s, we were actually the largest hotel chain provider in the country. So people have lived in YMCAs for years. And uh, so it wasn't necessarily a new thought process, but definitely a new model uh, here in 2023 uh, in Baton Rouge. And tell me about how the funding for this materialized. Where did it come from and how long were you planning this? Yeah, so uh, several years ago, our YMCA did a facility study. We brought in an outside organization to really look at our footprint and where we were. And we knew the A.C. Lewis location there in South Foster was a location we needed to address. Um, So as different funding opportunities came available, and one of them being through our state around workforce housing, uh, we saw the opportunity to, again, help address a need. We have land that we can utilize for that process, but at the same time, Uh, be able to work in some funding to try to help put a new YMCA on the property as well. When did it occur to the YMCA that housing was an issue in the city that you could address? I think it's, you know, you read it in the paper every day. Um, We know, I think, uh, whether we know it consciously or subconsciously, you really can't move forward in life if you don't have a good place to live and a quality place to live. Um, And there are a number of people out there who kind of fall into that uh, salary gap where, 
They may have a professional job. They may um, even have a white-collar job or a job we might consider that, but they're new in their career. And they really want to live someplace nice, either for themselves or even with their family, um, and can't always afford where that might be. And we, we thought this program fit perfectly for us in being able to help address a need in our community and provide quality housing to people that need it. Of course, as you mentioned, the YMCA in popular culture is well known for providing housing to people who would otherwise not have any. It sounds like you're looking to address a slightly different affordable housing problem in Baton Rouge. How much of this housing will be affordable? How much of it market rate? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's really designed for what the state kind of addressed as workforce housing was kind of the the thought process and the idea. So it is ideally set up for people who are at 80% of the median average income. So I kind of interpret that loosely around teachers, police officers, firemen, people who are going into a new career but are making 30000 you know, 45000 um, but people who are at that 80% range of the median average income. So 51% of the units will be for that, and then 49% of the units will be at market rate. We're speaking with Christian Engel, CEO of the YMCA of the Capital Region. We're talking about some housing that the <coughs> YMCA is building in mid-city Baton Rouge. Christian, tell me a little bit more about the workforce issues in general that you're hoping to address with this project, workforce issues here in the capital area. Yeah, I think, again, you know, we, we hear all the time about trying to recruit people to come work here. We want younger people to stay here. So I think it's an, it's an opportunity if I'm a young person graduating from LSU and, again, maybe going into teaching or even a paramedic or, you know, somebody who has a great job, a, a well-paying job, and they want to live someplace nice. And to me, it's like, you know, man, you're going to get a, a beautiful apartment right next door to an Albertsons with a YMCA in front of it. I mean, it's a, to me, that's a really high quality of life that somebody can have. Um, without necessarily having to be at an income level that might be higher than what uh, most people coming out of college are going to make. And I'm sure part of this calculus is that this Foster Drive facility is right in the middle of Baton Rouge. It's centralized. It's in a highly accessible part of the city. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you, you, know, you just had the government street work that was done. So, you know, a lot of that is much more walkable. you got BRCC across the street. You've got the, uh, the Baton Rouge General Hospital there in Mid-City. Um, so just we think it fits right into a lot of the uh, the current things that have happened, but also we know there's a lot of future plans that are taking place around us as well. So uh, we're kind of excited to be the catalyst and the and the first ones out the door and, and excited about other things to come. And tell me about the, the impact you're hoping to have on, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. livability in the Baton Rouge area and the city's ability to attract mm-hmm. workers. I think it's twofold. I think one, uh, again, First-class apartments, uh, you know, beautiful, great place to live. I think all of that is attractive to people that want to stay in Baton Rouge or come to Baton Rouge. Uh, And then I think secondly, just with the YMCA alone, um, it's going to be something like nobody's ever seen before in Baton Rouge. It's going to be a beautiful facility, um, you know, two-story facility with, you know, gymnasium, pool, the whole thing. And um, it's, you know, it's going to be beautiful. And we look at it as a, you know, in total about a $30 million project. And I'm not sure the last time $30 million was invested into Mid-City, so we're excited to be a part of that. Hmm. This project is taking place in coordination with the State Office of Community Development. What role are they playing in this? Yeah, so uh, the state had the funding source, and uh, specifically to trying to help provide workforce housing and and fitting into that demographic. It's a it's a need that needs to be filled, and they're trying to address that. And they've uh, they picked, I think it was four projects, and we happen to be one of the four projects they picked throughout the state. And so we were excited to be a part of it and be chosen. And for those people who love the YMCA, you're tearing down the current athletics-focused facility. 
But just so people aren't worried, you're going to build a new one, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I think that's been some of the rumors. We've had people call us and say, oh, we heard you're tearing the Y down and you're leaving. It's like, no, we're not leaving. We're tearing the Y down, but we're building a brand new YMCA as well. And it's going to continue to keep its namesake. It'll continue to be the AC Lewis YMCA. That name's not going anywhere. The the Lewis family for decades has been uh, a wonderful partner with the YMCA. So we're excited about that part of it. Um, but I laid it back to 60 years ago, right? Somebody had to make a decision to move from one location to where the current location is now, um, build a YMCA there for 60 years to come. And I look at it today and go, our board had the opportunity to make the same decision and go, you know what, we're going to have a YMCA that's going to serve Mid-City for another 60 years. And in addition to that, we're addressing a secondary need as well. So I think for just the future of Mid-City and Baton Rouge, uh, for us, this is a great first step. And are there any other opportunities the YMCA is looking at as far as addressing needs that need to be filled? Yeah, so we are right now, we're exploring early childhood education. Uh, Most people don't realize that the YMCA is actually the largest nonprofit provider of early childhood education in the country. Uh, We don't do any of it here. (laughs) So we're, we're venturing down that path right now. Um, And so we're exploring some opportunities around that. Um, We're actually investigating the Y entering into mental health. Um, YMCA's around the country have been engaged in that for decades. And so we're exploring that. We know that's a need that needs to be filled. And it's something I like to remind people about is that the YMCA is a 501c3 community service organization. Our job is to respond and react to our community and our community's needs. And this is one of those things as we list out early childhood, housing, uh, behavioral health, you know, all of those kind of things. So we're exploring all of that. Uh, in addition to new facilities, our service area actually goes from Hammond all the way to Lake Charles. So we're in conversations right now in Lake Charles. We hope to make an announcement here in a couple of months about bringing the Y back to Lake Charles and building a new facility there as well. So a lot of fun and exciting things that are going on that uh, I know myself, our staff, our board are, are really excited about these opportunities. All right. Christian Engel, CEO of the YMCA of the Capital Region. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. From WRKF and WWNO, this is Louisiana Considered. The Acadiana Symphony Orchestra in Lafayette next week presents a concert looking at romantic musical masterpieces featuring the sultry sounds of the saxophone for its February concert, a concert being performed Tuesday evening, Valentine's Day. With us today, Mariusz Moli, Artistic Director of the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra. Also joining us, Karinda de Vroop, guest artist, saxophonist. Karinda is joining us from South Africa, and the maestro joins us from outside Warsaw, Poland. Thank you for being here, Mariusz. Hello, pleasure, pleasure to be with you uh, today. Uh, we have launched our 38 concert season, and we're trying to find so, sort of an umbrella theme, some sort of a musical thought or idea that somehow brings all the concerts together. This year, this idea is about changes, and we, we call that turning points. The important moments in the history of you know, civilization, music, culture, to sort of determine the path for the future because of certain events that happened on the on the journey. And they are moments in music history that also were very important for the further developments of the art. And uh, this upcoming concert uh, is really exploring important development point in, in, in the history of instrumental music, which is connected to the development of saxophone, which is a relatively new instrument in, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, uh, introduced new sounds, new abilities from composers to write music. So our concert is exploring that instrument and that turning point. 
Yes, and this is where I want to bring in your guest soloist for next week's concert is saxophonist Karen DeVroop. He's joining us from Pretoria, South Africa. Karen, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much, Adam. Uh, pleasure to be here. Now, we're talking about the saxophone. You know, a lot of people might perceive that acoustic instruments, in, especially in the symphony orchestra, have just always been around. But that is not necessarily the case, especially in the saxophone. The, the saxophone is a relative newcomer as far as musical instruments. Can you tell me a little bit about what you would say your instrument brings to the symphony? Well, good question. Um, the saxophone, as you rightfully have said, is a very young instrument. It was only invented in the 1840s uh, by Adolf Sax in, uh, in Belgium. Um, initially, the thought process behind it was to take the best sound qualities of woodwind and brass, but it was also initially conceived to reinforce the cello section, but it did not enjoy much popularity uh, since its inception. It, it rose to prominence with the invention of jazz when the saxophone really came to prominence. But at about the same time, classical composers in Europe were experimenting with writing works for saxophone. But rightfully so, when you compare the literature of, for example, piano literature to saxophone, you just cannot compare the, the amount of literature that's been written for piano versus saxophone. Love, Sax, and Tango, A Cultural Revolution. That's the name of the concert. Margish, can you tell me when it was you figured out that you wanted to bring some of the saxophone repertoire to this concert? Well, I, I'm always looking for, for new concepts in, in, in our presentation, whether in form or instrumentation or uh, a bit of a fresh air, so to speak, into our uh, repertoire. And I like to often bridge different uh, genres of music. This time we were, I would say, experimenting because it's not a true experiment has been done many times before. But I think perhaps for the first time in Lafayette showing a string ensemble uh, with a jazz trio featuring solo saxophone, I think creates a new gamut of color and sound. And speaking of the sounds, the saxophone to a lot of people in the tango might kind of evoke these ideas of a jazzy feeling, a jazzy sound. Are these jazzy sounds something that you're bringing to the Acadiana Symphony on Tuesday? Yeah, uh, true. So when I initially consulted with uh, Mariusz about the concert, and he said, you know, throw some ideas. What what repertoire would go best? So I figured, well, uh, there is a bit of a unique twist on the tangos. Tangos have been around, but primarily uh, violin. There's just a handful of saxophone players who have attempted to bridge a gap with saxophone and tangos. And for me, it works very well because the saxophone is a very, how would you say, sexy instrument. It's a very romantic instrument. And the tangos were conceived in the bordellos of Argentina. So my idea with this concert was to bring the best music from South America, which is the tangos of Piazzolla, some well-known American saxophone works, you know, the likes of uh, My Funny Valentine, Embraceable You, the standards. Uh, but then also bringing in music from South Africa, which is relatively unheard of the rest of the world. Uh, my repertoire includes some traditional South African works that are written for full string orchestra and rhythm section, and also some original compositions. And you, you mentioned the origin of tango. Marius, you're featuring the music of composer Astor Piazzolla. You've said the composer elevated tango music from the red light districts of Buenos Aires. Tell me about that. How do you think elevating an art form with a storied background like this plays in Louisiana? 
Oh, I think it is any other place outside of Buenos Aires when it fits perfectly is Louisiana. Louisiana is the is the place when jazz was born. People, I think, are very open to new ideas, to improvising. People perhaps tend to take more time to stop and smell the roses, so to speak, take more time to enjoy life, more time to enjoy good food, good music. So I have been working as as conductor on permanent basis in Louisiana for almost 20 years, and uh, it's been a very rewarding experience in terms of gaining new ideas, collaborating with open-minded musicians, bridging different musical genres, which perhaps wouldn't be so easy and so exciting in other parts of the world. So having this concert couldn't happen in, in, in a better geographical location. <laughs> in fact, you've spent, you said, two decades putting your finger on what the ears of Acadiana in Louisiana would, would like to hear in a symphony orchestra. How would you say that has changed in the past 20 years? I think that the orchestra itself developed to be much more of a flexible musical ensemble. We always trying to play better Beethoven and Mozart. This is the bread and butter for, for orchestra. But at the same time, when we're trying to cultivate the classics, uh, we're trying to, what I say, add at least a few new pages of music to the wonderful historical library of music. Trying, you know, very humbly to add a little bit of a, a fresh sounds, fresh ideas hoping to entertain our audience, educate our youth, but maybe inspire somebody else to follow our path. We're speaking with Artistic Director Mariusz Mali of the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra. He's joining us from near Warsaw, Poland today. Also with us is Corinne DeRoop, saxophonist from Pretoria, South Africa. Corinne will be joining the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra for the February 14th concert. I want to ask you one more saxophone question Karen, there's a lot of shapes to saxophones. Which saxophones are you bringing to Lafayette? I play all of them from soprano, alto, tenor, and berry, but my heart belongs to the alto saxophone. But it will be used in a variety of contexts. But uh, it's interesting that you asked Morish about how music has evolved in, in Louisiana. In 1998, I studied in the U.S. I was based in Texas, and the very first city that I visited outside of Denton was New Orleans. And I was just blown away by the music and the style and the culture, and especially that Zydeco style. So this new album that I've just put out uh, features all South African pieces, except for one piece called Cane Cutter, which is based on the Zydeco style of music. And we will be playing that with the orchestra. It's got the typical Cajun feel, but it's got South African harmonies, for audience members, it's the one piece you really, really should look out for uh, at the concert. Do you think that the piece, the Zydeco piece, is something you just never would have considered unless you happened to come to Louisiana, to New Orleans that one time? Oh, yeah, absolutely true. Um, I, I was never exposed to that Cajun style, Zydeco style, until I went to, to New Orleans. And uh, it's infectious. It's It just it gets at you. It's rhythmical. It's energetic. It's soulful. No doubts about it. Had I not visited New Orleans, I never would have been exposed uh, to that music. It's big in your part of the world, but it's uh, it's relatively unknown in my part of the world. Acadiana Symphony Orchestra Artistic Director Mariusz Moli, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. And saxophonist Karen DeVroop, thank you for your time on Louisiana Considered. Thank you so much. And that concert, Love, Sax, and Tango will be performed next week, Tuesday the 14th, 7 p.m. at the Acadiana Center for the Arts in Lafayette.
And thanks for listening today. Uh, we heard from Richard Webster. A thank you to Richard Webster, reporter with the New Orleans Newsroom Verite, Christian Engel of the YMCA of the Capital Region, Marish Mali, and Corinna DeVroop, of course. Thank you to them. Our managing editor is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Passell, and Thomas Walsh. You can catch Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 or on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Adam Voss. Thanks for listening. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health. 